Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Just a, a quick clarification. Um, when Luke said a new pastor, he wasn't talking about replacing me. He was talking about... <laughs> We're looking for a new additional assistant pastor. We've kind of all been covering... And uh, anyway, if you would like to talk to the elders, it's over in the fireside room after this. Um, at least I don't think they're looking at replacing me. Um, let me read to you from Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So this week I took Janice to a show that was mostly a couple of hours of um, some people doing the traditional dances of their country and the traditional outfits of their country to the traditional music of their country. Janice loved it. Me, not so much. <laughs> no, not my cup of tea. Men, um, if you're feeling me in solidarity, could you just kind of nod your head or maybe just a little signal, a uh, little something that will let me know. Um, now, I can still remember going to something similar, another country with their traditional garb and traditional dances, when I was 15 years old. And I promised myself that I would be careful to avoid doing that again, ever, in my entire life. But I did it again this week. Why? Because I love Janice. We've been married 41 years, and I love her as much or more than ever. She's my bestie, my best friend, the one who knows me better than anyone. She's also the one who does many, many things for me, even when she would prefer not to. Now, because I love her, I want to please her. That's just the way love is. I'm not doing it to earn her love. It means a lot to me when I see her happy. Because I love her, I want to please her. You get where this is going, right? I also love Jesus, which means I want to please him. So sometimes I do things that I know would please him, even though they're not my preference, not my cup of tea, for many years, church worship services were not my cup of tea. Now look at me. I want to please Jesus. I'm not trying to earn his love. He already loves me. Loving him back means I want to please him. Now the Bible is clear, and we looked at this some during the, the series on the Reformation that we are saved by grace, not by works. Now, works is an abbreviation for works of the law or successfully obeying everything required by the law as laid out by Moses in the Old Testament. So when we just say works, that's what we mean. That or any system in which you're trying to earn your salvation. Uh, it's just shorthand. Wanting to please Jesus has nothing to do with works, and people often get confused about this with, with earning their salvation. Because we've already received God's love and salvation, we just love him back. 
We love him first, as the Apostle John said, because he first loved us. Our salvation does not result from us pleasing God. We desire to please God because we have already experienced his love and salvation. Is that clear? People get confused about this all the time. If we do not desire to please God and actually put some of that into practice, then we don't love him. Let me repeat that. If we do not desire to please God and actually see us putting some feet to that, then we don't love him. Now, our attempts to please him, they're always imperfect. They're always flawed. We fail, we sin, but we still want to please him. And what we need to realize is even our very flawed attempts please him. He's just excited that you're, you want to please him, that you're doing something to please him. When we try to please him out of some misguided idea that it will earn us salvation or God's love, then we are temporarily forgetting the gospel, that we're saved by grace. And I temporarily forget that. You do. Everybody does. That's part of the reason why we gather every week to worship together and remind each other why you need to be in a small group that's constantly encouraging you and reminding you, because we all temporarily forget. Later this month, we'll be inviting you into a small group. If you're not in one, please, please be thinking and praying about that. Very important. So I love Jesus and want to please him. I also worship Jesus. I'm deeply and constantly impressed by him, by his character, by his creativity, by his, his beauty. Uh, it's surprising and, and so great. He's just so good. Now, when I was your guy's age, and I was growing up, and even before that, I idolized different people, um, depending on the time. I, usually it had to do with running backs in football um, that I would idolize, and that's what I wanted to be like. Sometimes popular recording artists. Anybody here sing along in the car with you know, their favorite artists? Um, I try not to do Adele. Uh, <laughs> awfully good. Um, but I played a lot of football, even though the likelihood of me ever becoming as good as any of my idols was just minuscule. I practiced singing the songs of the recording artists that I idolized by singing along with them, even though I had already made the decision I was not going to pursue singing as a career because my dad pursued singing as a career when he was supposed to be working and tanked his career and our family. And so uh, for good and sometimes for bad, my mantra is don't become like dad. But I take that too far sometimes. But I still idolized athletes and singers, which meant I desired to become like them and actually did some things designed to help me become more like them. Idolizing is kind of a lesser form of worship. My idols changed over the years. Any of you remember you know, uh, Mike Nelson in the TV show Sea Hunt? Or uh, James Bond is portrayed by Sean Connery? Or Mickey Mantle of the Yankees, even though I wasn't very good at baseball? Singer Simon and Garfunkel, pro football running back out of USC, O.J. Simpson. It is important that your idols have godly character as well as talent. But we are all hardwired to worship someone or something. Now, after becoming a follower of Jesus, the one I, he is, became the one that I worship and want to become like. I still admire other people and their accomplishments. I want to become like them maybe in some ways. But Jesus is the one that impresses me the most and the one I most want to become like. And I want to become like him because he is amazing. 
and I worship him. Now, we are all shaped by whomever or whatever we worship. We gradually become like whomever we worship, sometimes only in our attitudes or uh, values, sometimes much more than that. If you do not desire to become like Jesus, then you are not his follower or worshiper. If you are not becoming like Jesus, at least in some attitudes and changes of the heart and values, then you're not his follower and worshiper. And some of you are probably in the place of trying to decide, should I become his follower and worshiper? And that we're, we're really glad you're here. But some of you th- may be saying, yeah, I'm, I show up at church. Do you love him? Then you want to please him. Do you worship him? Then you want to become like him. It has nothing to do with works, with earning your salvation by keeping some rules carefully. This has to do with your heart's affections. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If you love the Lord, you will want to please him, and you will want to become more like Jesus. Okay, now all of that is a theological introduction to the series, brief series of three Sundays that we're starting today. I want to be crystal clear about what motivates us to diligently cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our own transformation. It's because we love and worship Jesus. It's not because of works. Is that clear? Everybody? Because we all have to be reminded of that constantly. You'll walk out and go, that's clear. And then tomorrow you'll be thinking, oh, I've got to earn it. So keep getting reminded. Now, we've entitled this series, God's Principles for Building Better Besties. And that probably gave you the, the, the idea that if you came and learned these things, then you could make your best friend into a better person. Um, I probably should have named it something different. Um, it's it's be more accurate to say God's principles for you becoming a better bestie or a better best friend. Each week we're going to look at just a few principles today, kind of two, that are in the Bible and describe some ways you can put into practice these principles in your life. And I would encourage you just to pick one. You might pick one for the whole series. You might pick one, a different one each week, but don't try and do everything. Just focus on something. If you do... And if you do it prayerfully, you will become more like Jesus. You will please him in whatever flawed attempts that you have. You'll make him happy. Would you please open an app or a Bible to Romans chapter 12? It's on page 948 if you want to use the Pew Bible. We're going to start with verse 9. Okay, verse chapter 12 of the book of Romans a very, very practical chapter. We're going to look at, start at verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, I'm going to put a parenthesis in here just because I know that there's the verse right in the middle there that causes lots of people trouble. Uh, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Now, salt was often used as money in the ancient world. Soldiers were sometimes paid in salt. Hence the phrase that someone is worth their salt, because either they were worth their salary or they weren't worth their salary. The word salary, the root, is salt. They both come from the same root. In Jesus' day, they didn't have refrigerators. Salt was primarily used to preserve fish and meat. So probably the primary meaning of Jesus here is that you are meant to preserve something. What? 
Well, you bring the gospel, so you preserve the message from God. Well, you also bring God's presence with you if you're his follower, and so you're his ambassador. But you also preserve an understanding of good and evil. And that's been kind of down through the ages, probably what experts have felt was the primary thing that Jesus was saying. And the reason is we're not smart enough to figure out what is good and what is evil. Throughout history, every culture, including ours, gets some of that right, and they say, oh, this is evil, and sure enough, God says it's evil, and some of it wrong, and say, this is good, when really it's actually evil. Um, So God tells us in the Bible, inspired by him, preserved for us by him, what is good and evil. Now, when a culture, this is a bit heavy for a minute here, but when a culture forgets or ignores what God has communicated as good and evil, the culture will eventually bring God's wrath upon it. Now, God's very patient, but he loves people. And if you love someone and they are being hurt or destroyed, you eventually intervene. So God eventually intervenes. Followers of Jesus add value in all the things we're going to talk about in this series, but also in abhorring evil and clinging to what is good. Not in some obnoxious way necessarily, wise and loving ways, but we need to realize that without God telling us what is good and evil, the culture will go a different way and a lot of the people we love will be very, very hurt. So if we love people, we know that evil hurts them, so we abhor evil, the impact it has on people, while loving the people. And we avoid letting, and here's the real clincher for those of you in this room, for most of you, many of you who turned your life over to Jesus. It is very tempting, and we see it happen over and over again, where instead of people's worldview worldview being determined by what God has revealed in the Bible, it becomes determined by the culture. The culture doesn't know what's right and wrong. The culture just goes all these different ways. Just look at what's happened in my lifetime in terms of what the culture believes is good and, and wrong. So you have to be very clear, careful that you are in a group that is supporting a biblical worldview so that you don't all of a sudden no longer abhor evil. Okay, that's the parentheses. Um, again, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Now in that little passage, there are three different Greek words used for Love or affection. The word agape, which you've probably heard about. The, the word Philadelphia, comes. that's where the name for the city comes from. And the word philostrogoi. Storgoi, philostorgoi. Agape is unconditional love, and it's probably best described anywhere in 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's a fantastic passage. And to become a better best friend to someone, to become more like Jesus, just in that one little thing in 1 Corinthians 13, there's plenty there for any of us to work on. So one possibility of the two that I'm going to give you today to just practically cooperate with the Holy Spirit to become a better best friend of someone better spouse, better friend of someone you work with or go to school with. One possibility that you could put into practice this week is to begin to memorize either just that passage in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13 or the whole chapter. And the whole chapter would be all the better. Um, And then two or three times a day, as you're memorizing it and after you've memorized it, 
to kind of go over it in your head, either as you're waking up or brushing your teeth or eating or driving or going to sleep at night. And not just have the words, but ask the Holy Spirit to show you which of those things. Is it patience? Is it being irritable? Is it being forgiving? Is it being rude? What would the Holy Spirit want you to work on in terms of your relationship with one of your best friends or your spouse? And then ask the Holy Spirit to change you. So you don't just memorize it. You talk it over with God throughout the day for Him to work on your life with it. Now, I guarantee you that if you memorize 1 Corinthians 13 or this middle passage of it, you will forever be glad that you did. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to use you cooperating with him and God's word to transform you. And this is one of the, one of the most um, effective ways to do it. If you just feel like, I can't memorize, or, I just, or that, that, that ship has sailed or whatever, then you can print it out and put it by your bedside table and on your mirror in the bathroom and on your dashboard of your car. You can put it on your, your uh, smartphone so that with one touch it pops up and look at it various times each day. It actually works better if you memorize it because it does tend to, hard to, to change the wiring in your, your emotions and brains, but it's also really good just to, to go over it several times a day. Now, the word Philadelphia refers to affection for someone, something you like about them. Philostorge refers to the love we have for our family. And, you know, whether you like your family or not, you generally tend to love them, right? Okay. Philadelphia, you actually like them. Storge, it's that family love. Agape, it's 1 Corinthians 13, this unconditional commitment to their good. Paul has, and I don't, know, I don't think there's any other place in the Scripture, in this little brief section that we just read, he's piled up all three terms about love. Okay, Why would he do that? Well, he wants to emphasize that this kind of unconditional love, family commitment, and affection is what we're supposed to be developing for each other. Now, that's, that's a pretty high bar. But what if you're disappointed with the people closest to you? What if your friends at school or your best friend disappointed you? What if your parents disappoint you? What if your children disappoint you? What if your spouse disappoints you? What if the people you work with disappoints you? And actually, we're all disappointed with the people closest to us. If you don't see their flaws and shortcomings, then you aren't that close to them yet. And as you probably realize, they're also disappointed with you. This series is about surprising them by becoming more like Jesus in one or two areas, areas that the people closest to you may currently be kind of disappointed about. Now, see, there's a fourth Greek word for love, eros. It has to do with passion, probably infatuation. And part of the problem in our culture is that many struggle and hurt relationships because they have unrealistic expectations regarding eros or passion or infatuation and the other different kinds of love that we mentioned, agape, Philadelphia, uh, philostorgoi. Are any of you familiar with, uh, most of you have heard of MRIs, right? Magnetic resonance imaging where they put you in this thing and it puts this huge magnetic field through your body and then they capture that uh, with transducers on the other side and it produces a three-dimensional image that they can actually see what's going on in your body. Super helpful tool, incredible uh, technology. But for the last couple of decades, they've added to that what's called fMRI, functional MRI. And what they primarily have been using it for, at least a lot of what you, what you hear about, is scientists and psychologists love it, 
um, is it can, while you're thinking, it can tell where more blood is flowing in your brain. And so they have extrapolated from that. And I'm sure their theories will uh, improve with time. But their current theory is that that means that that's the part of your brain that is processing whatever it was you were doing. So for example, you taste chocolate. What fires in your brain? You get mad. Where does that fire in your brain? What are all these different things that are going on? Um, it's, it's fascinating research, but the reason I'm bringing it up is that you, if you ever fallen in love, don't raise your hand. Um, if, you know, if you've fallen in love and become infatuated with someone, what's that like? Well, you just like, oh, they hardly don't have any flaws or they're just not big flaws. Or when, when, Before we had cell phones, what we would do when I was your guy's age, we'd just call up on the phone and just listen to each other breathe. Now it sounds really stupid, but we thought that was, you know, that was great. Now, with, you know, it's, probably, now it's probably just FaceTime. Um, I don't know. Uh, laugh at all their jokes. Um, did you know that infatuation or falling in love, according to fMRIs, functional MRIs, it happens in one place in your brain. It usually lasts for no more than 18 months to two years. Meanwhile, in marriages and strong, loving relationships that do well, there is a whole another type of love. We just mentioned three, Agape and Philadelphia and Storgoy. There is another type of love that develops in a completely different place in your brain, according to what they think is the best theory in fMRI. It doesn't mean you no longer have attraction or any kind of passion for the other person, but you develop a deep commitment that is actually quite different, which is so, what's so good about Greek, all these different words for love. The long-term love and commitment is super important. People shipwreck their relationships by not cultivating them. You can cultivate it just by putting in the principles God put in the Bible thousands of years ago. And we're going to be talking about some of those. And if you don't, and if you expect that, oh, I'll always be infatuated, passionate, it comes and goes. That's the way relationships are. And the much more important love is the long-term uh, committed kind. These biblical principles we're going to look at in these three weeks, and it's just a brief series, um, they can also help you to regain lost affection for someone. So I hope you'll try them. So... As already suggested, learning 1 Corinthians 13 and having the Holy Spirit help you put different character qualities in there that are loving into practice, that's a great way to develop a longstanding, unconditional love. Now, another may surprise you because it comes from implementing a financial principle given by Jesus into our relationships. What am I talking about? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, Jesus is talking about money. It's one of his most common topics. And again, like Luke said, I urge you to go to Financial Peace uh, University. Great stuff for knowing how to honor God with both uh, what you earn and what you, what you spend and all of these things and what you give. But the principle here applies to more than money. It's the principle that your heart, your affections, your interest, your love will follow your investments if you do it right. And it's not just monetary investments. What do I mean? 
For example, what's, what else can you invest other than money? Time, which is actually now for most of our culture, most people value time more than they value money, which is interesting. That's a switch in terms of world history and cultures. But what you can do is if you will serve people, if you will invest time and effort in them, we're talking about somebody close to you, a best friend, a spouse, uh, someone you go to school with. If you'll invest time in them, all the while praying for the Holy Spirit to increase your love and affection for them, then your love and affection for them will increase. Now, you can say, oh, not always. Well, I've, I've been talking about this with people for decades. I've never seen somebody actually put this into practice where it didn't work, even in really difficult relationships. Often, it will also result in the person loving you more because you're serving them in something they appreciate that they're not used to you doing. And also, what we tend to do is if I like you, you tend to like me. If you like me, I tend to like you. So there's all of that interplay that can be very good for that. So that's the second practical implication. I'm only giving you two today. One is jump into 1 Corinthians 13, memorize all or part of it, and be talking to the Holy Spirit throughout the day as you try to become more loving. The other one is pick someone that you... uh, already is a really good friend or, or a spouse or something, and figure out what they would appreciate that you would do that you don't already do. And then do it. Invest your time and serve them while you're praying and asking the Holy Spirit to increase your love. And don't expect anything in return. If you want to up at a level, you can do it in secrecy. They don't even know you're doing it for them. That has a whole bunch of things that that does in your heart, and it's a very interesting situation, but I'm not going to go into that today. But there's lots of things. You could be you know, feeding them food. You could be listening to them patiently, and you don't usually do that. You could be doing chores that they've wanted you to do. You could do their chores for them. You could go to some show and watch people dancing in traditional costumes for hours. <laughs> but do it in prayer with Jesus. Intentionally. Not begrudgingly. Not half-heartedly and see what happens. It's a principle where your treasure is, whatever you're investing, time, money, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We'll look at more principles next week. We had a fantastic Christmas. And if you didn't, uh, maybe next year you will, but we just had a fantastic Christmas. We had four of our five children came during the Christmas season Two of my older sisters came for the first time ever. They came and they worshiped with us on Christmas Eve. And these are not followers of Jesus. And they loved it. Um, They loved you. So thank you. Uh, All of our four grandkids were here. And I got to play a lot with them. They are ages five, four, three, and two. Now, I wrestle with my grandkids. Uh, One of the things they love is what we call the bear trap. I sit on the couch, and as they walk by, I'm, imagine me sitting, as they walk by, I reach out with my legs and I capture them, okay? And then they squeal, and then they either escape or they call for help from the other grandkids, and they help them escape, and they, they, they run away, and, and, and you know what they do? They immediately run back. <laughs> immediately. It's loads of fun uh, to be captured again. Now, I also do something called crab toes. Now, as I was growing up, and don't ask me why, I developed the ability to grab things with my toes. Um, they're much weaker now, um, but when I was younger, I was able to pick up the dining room chairs with my toes, and I was able to tie your shoes with my toes, just the toes. 
I actually have a number of highly developed skills that are completely unemployable. Luke, I think it just comes from being a youth pastor. So I do to my grandkids what I also did to their parents, crab toes. I take off my shoes and socks, and I pinch them with my toes. And when I pinch them, I'm careful not to pinch them too hard. They squeal with glee. They run away, and guess what they do? They immediately come back for more. And one of the cutest things that I got to watch was the concentration on the, fa- on the face of Nathan, the two-year-old, as he was practicing pinching things with his toes so that he can be like Grandpa. How do you think Jesus feels when he sees you practicing becoming like him? It just pleases him. It it doesn't matter if it's flawed. It just pleases him to see that you love him that much. Not only will it please him, it will enhance your relationships. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. May you be filled with the Spirit and all the power you need this week to love Jesus and worship Him in ways that will help you to make new choices that please Him and then help you become more like Him and that bless the people closest to you. God bless you. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.